So we are almost in the last portion of the second chapter of Srimad Bhagavad Gita. We have studied till the 69th verse uh, and there are three more verses remaining. The 70, the 71st and the 72nd. So before we proceed to the last three verses, we will have a synopsis of the entire second chapter and then conclude with the study of those last three verses. So if we try to just recollect, we will find that in the last verse of the first chapter, it was mentioned that Arjuna has cast aside his bow and arrows and he sank into the seat of his chariot. His mind was fully distressed and overwhelmed with grief. And the second chapter is fine. It starts that seeing Arjuna overwhelmed with this grief, with piety, his mind been totally grief stricken and his eyes full of tears, Asru Purna, Asru Purna, uh, sorry, uh, Asru Purna Kulekshanam, Akula means the eyes, the complete eyes from one end to the another end, Akula, Asrupurna Kulekshanam. So it is full of tears, the eyes are full of tears. So seeing Arjuna such overwhelmed, Sri Krishna tried to rouse his spirit. And what he said, just like a great preacher, instead of admonishing him, instead of rebuking him, He's saying something wonderful. What he's saying? That such faint-heartedness is not befitting for an honorable person like you. We will find that this small, uh, the way of speech speaks a lot. When the parents, for some reason, has to admonish the child, has to scold the child. The child has done some silly act and the parent will lose their temper and may say, you are stupid. But it's a false statement. The child is not stupid. He has just done a stupid act. He has or she has the potentiality to be really something great. He has that intelligence. He has that diligence. So just for a single stupid act, if you say you are stupid, it's a false statement. Because that person is not going to be stupid eternally. He was neither stupid previously nor he's going to. He's the soul with if, if chances of infinite manifestation, potentiality. So instead of saying you're stupid, the same thing could have been told in a different way. 
I have such a great opinion about you. You're such a great child. I never thought that you can do such a silly act. So that shows the same thing. Instead of admonishing him by as if through eternal damnation, that you are going to as if a, uh, be a stupid through eternity, we are just put, pointing out to the potentiality that person has to manifest that potentiality. So that same thing at the very beginning of the second chapter, Sri Krishna has done. What he's saying? That he saying that it doesn't befit you to yield to the unmanliness, that you are such an honorable person. You are great. So in the very third sloka, the third verse, what he's saying? Klaivyam masma gama partha na etat tayu upapadhyate na ta so this faint-heartedness doesn't befit you. So relinquish this kshudrang ridaya dorvalyam, this petty faint-heartedness. Relinquish. Tyaktya, relinquish. Arise, Uttishta Parantapa. As we find in the Kathopanishad, that it's the same way the Upanishad is trying to arouse our conscience by saying Uttishtata, Jagrata, Prapya, Varan, Nivodhata, Kshurasya Dhara, Nishita, Duratyaya, Durgam, Pathastvat, Kavayo, Vadanti. That why we, the Upanishad is asking us to arise and awake, knowing very well the path is not easy. It's a very, very difficult path. Just like walking on the edge of a razor. It is that sharp. There's a chance of pitfall, of falling. But still the Upanishad is saying, arise, awake, and stop not. Follow the guidelines of the ones who have succeeded. And proceed. Why they are saying that, yes, they are accepting the fact that life do have challenges. It's Sometimes it can be really very, very great, but know it for certain. We as the human being have the capacity to transcend that. When this Edmund Hillary for the first time attempted to climb the Mount Everest, he failed because of the terrible extreme bad weather. Almost he reached the peak, but he had to come down. He couldn't reach. And then in a gathering when he was addressing about his adventure to the Himalayas. He told that I couldn't, I couldn't reach the top of the Everest. I had to come down. It was, I was almost near because of the extreme bad weather. He has to come down. But pointing to the Mount Everest, he said, he what said a very interesting thing. He told, but if not today, tomorrow I'm going to conquer you. And then what he said is very interesting. Because he said that your height is fixed. 
you are not going to increase, but my capacity, I have the capacity to transcend all my limitations. I can, I can exceed, I can excel. There's no limitation to my achievement. So today I have failed, tomorrow I will succeed. So as a human being, we have that capacity. However difficult the situation may be, we should always assert the inner strength which we had. We should never be faint-hearted. Why not faint-hearted? Because it is not that there is no way out. It is difficult, but not impossible. Sometimes we equate difficulty with impossibility. That difficulty doesn't mean impossible, it is difficult. No one is denying the fact that this life with its crisis is a difficult path to traverse, but it is not impossible. So never be faint-hearted, assert the strength which you have at the core of your being. So with that, that's why Swami Vivekananda used to say, if you ask me that what is the greatest sloka of Bhagavad Gita, he used to quote this at the very beginning, this Klaivyang Mas Magama Partha, Na etatvayupapadyate, Kshudram Ridayadorvalyam, Tyakta Uttishta Parantapa. So as when we were, we were taking this, we were just uh, discussing this sloka at the very beginning of this chapter. We refer to that fear, the word fear as an acronym. In our life, to, to be scared with the insurmountable obstacles which we sometimes have to face. That fear is something inevitable, it comes. But what should be our attitude with that fear? So that we can forget everything and run. That's what most of us do. And to really manifest the inner potentiality, then what we have to do, that's, that's not the way. We have to face everything and rise. F-E-A-R. Face. Stop. Face the brutes. When Swami Vivekananda was in Kashi, Banaras, as a wandering monk, he was chased by a pack of monkeys and he was running and the monkeys were almost at his heels. He, he, he never knew what to do. And an old monk shouted at him, stop, face the brutes. He stopped, he turned around and he was astonished to see the monkeys also stopped. He stared at the monkeys, the monkeys stared, at, stared back at him, but they were not proceeding anymore. For some time, both were staring at each other and then the monkeys started proceeding. They were running away. And Swami Vivekananda, after that, has mentioned a very wonderful thing that I have learned the lesson of life. What's the lesson of life? Stop, face the brutes, never run away from it. Face the challenges, you will find they are vanishing in no time. And that's what the words we find in the words of Sri Krishna in the very third sloka. And then from the fourth to the 10th sloka, we find that Arjuna is still under that confusion. He knows that he has that strength. It is not that fear of losing the war that is forcing him to retreat. He has, he's quite capable. He knows that he has the strength, the capability to win the war. But it is his emotion that is overwhelming. 
because when he sees on the opponents in the opposite side his own relatives his own teacher that makes him faint hearted and now this confusion that he doesn't know what to do though <clears throat> that the battle is a righteous war for arjuna because they have been exploited and sometimes in this world the only way to overcome the exploitation to get the justice the war becomes inevitable war is always the thing which we should avoid but there are situations where war to become inevitable there is no way out and it is one of the such situation so arjuna is in bit confused that this inevitable war which he is justified to fight but he is when he is facing the enemy he knew very well sometimes <clears throat> to intellectually conceive one thing to intellectually conceive a thing is one thing and then to face it is something different so when you are facing when you find your blood relations then all the you know, there is a tremendous struggle between your head and your heart and that's the state of confusion in which arjuna is going through there's a fight between the head and the heart the head is saying his intellect is saying that the war is justified but the heart is full of emotions for the ones whom he sees in the opposite side that is weakening him draining him so he states that the bhishma and the dronacharya they are worthy of his respect of adoration they are his gurus there is teachers there is the elders the seniors it's not that he lacks courage he is prepared to fight it is but from the perspective of the moral duty he feels his duty was to respect the teachers and to show compassion to the relatives his the sons of dhritarashtra so that's the confusion through which he is going through and then that faint heartedness again comes back what he says that it is better to leave the world leave in this world by begging it is even it is better to beg than to enjoy life by killing your own respectable elders your teachers your own relatives it is just like enjoying the wealth and pleasures of life which is smeared with the tainted with the blood of your own kith and kin how can i do that but though he is saying that but within his heart he knows that he himself has came to this battlefield knowing it very well this war was inevitable and it was justified so at last we find that arjuna is completely surrendering to sri krishna that now please direct me i don't know what to do and what he says is very again interesting karpanya dosha it is in the seventh verse karpanya dosha upahata swabhava upahata my swabhava i am a kshatriya i am a warrior i do have the strength to take care of this present situation and overcome it i have that might that strength but the swabhava of a kshatriya has become upahata has been totally subdued because of karpanya dosha kripanata karpanya dosha means its miserliness what's the miserliness 
that when you have wealth but you do not want to spend it even for useful purposes for productive purposes that wealth has no use that speaks of kripanata so here arjuna has the strength the valor to face the situation to overcome it but here that kripanata has pre is prevailing because of the faint heartedness something is not allowing to realize that potentiality so that's why these words are so significant karpanya dosha this kripanata has i am being assailed by that my swabhava the real my real that strength the valor which is something natural to me is my swabhava being a kshatriya that has got subdued because of this kripanata so in this situation i am really confused so now he is saying prichami tvam dharma sangmurha cheta that i am dharma sangmurha what to do what not to do i am in the crossroads of life but the two ways are there which to follow i don't know so that is the dharma sangmurha i am totally confused but here we find when we surrender to the divine this same situation which speaks of distress which speaks of anguish which speaks of crisis that becomes a blessing in disguise because instead of just totally getting cocooned in your own problem you have the strength to totally open yourself up and look up to the divine for the help that you take the crisis as an opportunity that humans adversity is god's opportunity our adversity is god's opportunity if we can just open up to the divine god is just waiting for that when everything is fine we forget that after this life is a flow it's not going to be as it is the golden moments of life we get so infatuated by it we forget that it is going to pass we get totally involved in it and we forget that our eternal relationship is not with this temporary golden what you say this uh, the glisters the little glisters which are flowing with which i am so involved it will just simply pass off my eternal relationship is with the paramatma it makes this all these glitters makes me forget for the time being so the lord is waiting when that passes off and he turns around and looks at me and that speaks of that dharma sangmura cheta all these golden moments of life makes us forget the essence the real thing which for which this human birth is to go back to the source to be again one with the divine to enjoy that eternal companionship with the divine this all these temporary glitters makes us forget so our adversity is the god's opportunity so that's when we are dharma sangmura cheta we don't know what to do and then we look up to the divine you will find all the sp- so called the uh, masterpieces in the spiritual literature starts with this state a state of distress crisis you read the bhagavatam 
you read the chandi you read bhagavad gita even the gospel of sri ramakrishna it's when someone is in crisis they don't know what to do they think the the what you say all the path has as is going to end up in a precipice one step further you just fall in a deep abyss and then you look up and then you find there is a way which i was not aware of and then the divine finds this an opportunity to open up the portal of the spiritual world which is the realm in which we are we can experience the eternal eternity which is the core of our being the eternal bliss eternal happiness in that we can again get established it's not that it was not there it was there but we were forgetful about it it is always with us it's not something we have to attain but we are forgetful about it the so called the golden glisters passing glossy glisters of life make us forget to that so we just turn around and that portal of spiritual portal opens up for that we have to surrender to the divine and that's the thing that makes arjuna the one who was totally depressed to come out of that situation and face the life with the courage and that spirituality is spirituality is not meant to hide ourselves to cocoon ourselves from the problems of life it's not a retreat it's the way to gather strength even if it's a retreat it's not to run away to gather the strength with that strength again to face the life to face the life with that renewed strength is the be all and end all of spirituality and the bhagavad gita is the scripture that teaches that so now we find as krish as arjuna has opened up himself he is speaking of his confusion now sri krishna finds it's an opportunity to open up the spiritual portal for arjuna who was suffering from this inescapable trauma so when you are in inescapable trauma we find that all the paths have closed for us that's the time when we need the awareness of the fact that actually not all the paths have been closed we were only relating to some dimensions of existence where we cannot get the answer there are some diamond other dimensions once we relate to that all the problem is solved just when i think this life to be the be all and end all of existence and when i find the problems of life is totally submerging me deluging me as if and then i think there is no way out and then suddenly a new portal opens up of which i was not aware at all and then find all problems are not there at all if the problems are just temporary it is just local that when in this life we take this life as the be all and end all of existence then we find that at a certain time we know that death is waiting for us old age disease death all these things are waiting for us the nature gave us in bounty at certain point of time and we th- took it for granted as if it is going to be with us through eternity and then the same nature after some time is going to take away everything from you 
our youth, our beauty, our wealth, our relationships, all are going to fall apart. Nature gives in bounty and takes away again. And then we just start crying. And that's the time if somehow our awareness of the spiritual dimension of existence opens up, then we find that the things which we thought to be a permanent problem, to have pervaded my entire life, is actually temporary. It's just a flow. Nothing could affect my the core of my being, which is eternal, which is always in union with the divine. Nothing can affect that. So all the problems which I thought to be permanent, they become temporary. All that which was pervading as if my entire existence becomes local. It's just a small problem for the time being. It can in no way affect the real me. That's what we find every day in the evening Aratrikam when we sing Khandana Bhavandana. The line, a line almost at the end comes. Shampadatava Sripada Bhava Goshpada Varijatha. That your fit, O Lord, your fit is the treasure. Why it is the treasure of my heart? Shampada. Sampada means treasure. Tava Sripada, your lotus fit is Sampada, is the treasure. Treasure of my heart. Why? Bhava Goshpada Varijatha. Because the ocean, which was something insurmountable, I, I thought it, I cannot cross it. It's, there were, there's no end was visible. The moment I find the presence of your lotus feet in my heart, that unsurmountable, this uh, ocean, it becomes just like the hoof of a cow. When the cow is moving, when the cow is just uh, grazing over the field, its hoof's mark is on the soft soil. And when it when there's a downpour, when there's a rain, those hoof marks, those hoof marks gets filled with water. And even a small, even a frog can jump over it. It's such a small, uh, what is a body of water, just as hoof mark of the cow. Even a frog can jump over it. So Swami Vivekananda, how beautifully has composed that line. That when I feel the presence of your lotus feet in my heart, that ocean which I thought to is to which I cannot cross is such a huge, vast ocean with, with all the problems of life. It becomes just like the hoof mark of a cow. It's so small, it's just in it becomes goshpada. Goshpada means that the hoof of a cow. Go is the cow, pada means his feet, the hoof of the cow, so is the goshpada. And the wari jathai, that the, if the hoof of the fruit, footprint of a cow, that how much water it can hold is very little. So that ocean becomes that much. So that's the thing Sri Krishna is now doing. He gets this as text is an opportunity. His human's adversity becomes God's opportunity. So he now, Sri Krishna realizing that the deep-seated delusion and grief of Arjuna, it cannot be removed without the knowledge of that spiritual reality. So very at the very beginning, at the very inception, what he does, first, he immediately starts his discourse on the immortality of the soul. He starts flooding him with that, that instruction. It's like a flood, it comes from Krishna. He's just flooding Arjuna in it with the discourse of the immortality of the soul. So many from 11 to 30, this 
almost these 30 slokas speaks of that immortality of the soul. The cause of the Arjuna's grief is the lack of discrimination between the body and the soul. The body perishes, but the soul, but the soul will exist in all the three phases of time, past, present, future. It was, it is, it will be. It is called Trikal Avadhita Satya. Trikal, past, present, future. These are the three phases of time. The truth is that which exists in the three phases of time without any interruption. Avadhita, without interruption. So that truth, which speaks of the core of our being, which is the soul, when we cannot discriminate it with our physical, psychophysical existence, then all the suffering, the grief comes into picture. So as Arjuna has confused this too, so Krishna starts preaching him about the existence of soul, which is contrary to the existence of this body, which is limited. In the 18th sloka, we find what he's saying, Antavanta ime deha. This body is going to end. Nityasya ukta sharirina. The sharira is perishable. But the shariri, the one who resides in this body, he is nitya. There is no end to him. There was no beginning, there is no end. Anashina, aprameyasya. It cannot be, in. A, 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 you cannot destroy it and you cannot ascertain it with your so-called sensual knowledge. It is beyond that. It is the core of your being. You can experience it, but you cannot in any way describe it. Just when a, an unmar- a unmarried girl asks her friend, another girl who is already married and who has children, and she asks that, what's it, uh, what's the feeling you have when you have a child, a baby, the mother says it's it's some undescribable happiness. You try to describe, but I cannot. You can experience it. To understand that, you have to become the mother. You have to become the mother, then only you will understand it. So in this life, even with all such emotions like the motherly love, we can find that what it is experienceable but you cannot describe it. So that's what, that's what is being meant by the word aprameya. This, the eternal existence that can be experienced. It cannot be described, but once you experience it, there is no way anything in this world can, any, can disturb you. You get identified with that. So that aprameya atma, to realize that, once you real, to realize that should be the goal of your life. And once you realize that, then the so-called things which is baffling you, disturbing you, they exist. It's not that they vanish. In the physical plane, the death, the decay, the disease, the war, everything remains. It was, it is, it will be in the future. In the physical plane, is like that. That's what the physical world is. However, we may try to reform the physical existence, 
It's not going to be. That's the nature of the physical world. In the words of Ramakrishna, it is like the dog's curly tail. You can never straighten it. It is like that. And if there is any purpose of the divine to make the world like a dog's curly tail, is only because that world is not intended for our pleasure. We are deluded again and again by thinking this world is a pleasure ground. It's not the pleasure ground. In the words of Swami Vivekananda, it is a gymnasium where we have came to make ourselves strong. The world has intended to be curly so that in our attempt to straighten it, we ourselves get straightened. Just in the way you go to the gym, can you straighten the springs, that strong springs which has been kept there? You can never. But why they have kept there? By working against them, we get the strength. The spring remains that curled spring only. We work against it again and again so that we gain the strength. So the world remains curly, like the dog's curly tail. It never gets straightened. By working against it, we gather the strength. So that's the thing Bhagwan is indicating. That get this, this world is there as an opportunity. Don't take it as a pleasure garden. It's a gymnasium. Through all these turmoils, you have to pass through. So that you get established in yourself. You gather that strength and you get established in yourself. So don't take this uh, spiritual life as a mood to go to your security zone, to your comfort zone. That's what most of us are doing. That whenever we find that life's challenges are there, a fake renunciation comes. Oh, fed up with this life. I'm no more attached to it. I want to just get... Uh, I, I, just, I just want to have a retreat from it. We profess as if we are a detached soul, but it is actually we are trying to run away into the comfort zone, into the security zone. So that's not spirituality meant for. It is to gather the strength, to take that as an opportunity to transcend it, not to run away from it. And even if we are not established in the self, then also you know that there is no decay for you. Even you have to continue with this, what you say, this body after body. That's the thing Bhagwan is saying. But that in the 22nd sloka, that there is no end. Even when we are killed, there is no end as such. Even from the physical plane of existence is concerned, there is no end. From the spirit is eternal. Even from the physical plane of existence, there is no end till you go to that spiritual realization. How? Because we continue in different bodies. We transmigrate. The death entails transmigration of the soul into another body. It doesn't mean an end, which again Arjuna expounds with an illustration. What he says in the 22nd sloka, Vasangsi jirnani yathavihaya navani grinhati naroparani tatha sharirani vihaya jirnan Anyani Sanyati Navani Dehi. Just the way when our clothes get old, torn, we reject them and we again will be wearing the new clothes. We will buy the new clothes and we will be wearing them. Similarly, because of the decay and the death, when we have to reject this body, it is just like the worn out cloth. And we again take a new body. 
The new body is like the new cloth. So similar, this just the way we uh, relinquish the torn out old cloths and wear the new ones similarly. We are transmigrating from body to body. So there is no death as such, even in the physical plane of existence. The one for whom you are lamenting, they in no way, there is no end for them. So that's the how we find Bhagawan at the very beginning is trying to shift his awareness from this mere physical plane of existence to the core of each and every being, which is the soul, the one undivided uh, non-dual self, which is the core of the existence of the entire universe. He's trying to shift his attention to that, trying to help him to identify with the core of his existence so that the grief is assuaged to a certain extent. And then from 31st to the 37th sloka, Sri Krishna will be citing some, citing some other reasons also. That if you find it is too much to relate to the self and transcend the suffering of life, there are other uh, reasons, other standpoints also for which this, your grief is improper. What are the other reasons? The first he is saying that Swadharma. Swadharma, that as a warrior, as a soldier, that it is your duty to fight. And that also you're fighting for a righteous reason. So from the Swadharma, from the point of view of your Swadharma, Swadharma, it's not something which has been imposed on me. As per my temperament, as per my nature, with which I am born because of the past inherent tendencies, I have entered into a particular profession of life. It is those tendencies which I cannot simply uh, get rid of. They are the things which define me. Even if I relinquish the war, I myself will be repenting because something within me will be, this will be saying, because my nature is to what you say, stand for a righteous cause. Something within will be saying to me that you have not the right thing. At the spur of the moment, in our life constantly it happens. We all have a defined nature. The challenges of life sometimes forces us to act contrary to our nature, to act contrary to our nature. It forces a teacher, just take a teacher. He has that natural, uh, what you say, that inclination to teach. Taking classes, teaching students, by that he or she is quite happy, quite uh, at ease, because that has become the part of his life. And then suddenly the school environment starts challenging him. He finds it's difficult. He's most probably such a, the school where it's very difficult to deal with the students or he or she has come in some confrontation with the colleagues, with the administration and relinquishes the job. No more. Let me try for another job, some other job. And now there he finds that he cannot cope up with that other type of job. Why? 
because his nature already this because as most probably he or she was for last 10 years or 20 years teaching that has defined his character that has become his nature the other job he finds as if it is like a fish out of waters he cannot find himself very comfortable with that so here bhagwan is saying your swadharma is kshatriya from your very birth you have been you have been uh, <clears throat> what you say that trained that way your motivation your skills everything is oriented to be a warrior and suddenly you say i relinquish everything and will live the life of a uh, renunciate within a few days you will find you are like a fish out of waters so from the point of view of the swadharma don't try to run away from the challenges of life by thinking that this is not for you this is the thing which defines you what will you do without that so that's what krishna is saying as other reason swadharmam apichavikshe navikampitum arhasi dharmyadhi yudhya shreyonyat kshatriyasya ravidyate that to have this opportunity to fight for a righteous cause what can we more glorifying than that for a kshatriya for a warrior even it's in the present it's today that it's true even today the army the navy the air force they are idling their time they sometimes we feel that so much resources wasted so they also feel that when when a war comes for a righteous reason they feel that it's an opportunity that what i was doing just i was leading a lazy life as such they were always prepared for the war but the so called the war never came and that that gives them to certain extent a sense of meaninglessness that what for i am and suddenly an opportunity for this war comes it is not something that war is always we have to avoid but the way of life is such that there are some situations where war is there and you find that it is justified and there you find that all the skills which you have developed all the orientations which you have developed that is going to find some expression and you now start feeling meaning in life so that's the idea of swadharma <clears throat> so from the point of swadharma also that what can be a greater opportunity <clears throat> than to <clears throat> have this dharma yudhya where you can really express your swabhava <clears throat> your nature your the way you have been built up through that and it also is a way to spirituality because dharma yudhya is such where you, you are even ready to relinquish your life for an ideal now this, the entire gamut of spirituality is what there are so many ways to efface our ego once the ego is effaced immediately we get established in our spiritual essence is the ego that is not allowing us to get established in a spiritual essence that's as sri ramakrishna used to say very nicely when someone is to ask him when shall i be free his answer used to be when i that i is within the inverted comma cease to be that limited sense of this individuality this ego this ahankara that's the cause of our bondage that localized consciousness the consciousness which is non local the sun in the sky 
when it gets reflected in the waves of the ocean, each and every wave has the reflection of the sun. The one sun appears as many and it appears to be as if limited. If you see the reflection, it is as if limited within the wave. But is it really limited in the wave? No. As long as I'm identified with the reflection, I feel I'm limited with the wave and I'm separate from other waves. But the moment I look up to the sun, it is the same sun. So that's why the relinquishment of the ego, that our identity with that reflected sun, the reflected awareness, once we get rid of it, immediately we get aware of the sun, the spiritual essence of our being. So that ego can fall off in many ways. It can fall off through meditation. It can fall off by taking part in a righteous war. How? That I am so much identified with an ideal for the righteous reason that I am ready even to relinquish my life, sacrifice my life. So what happens? The ego falls off immediately. You don't need years of spiritual practice. Just with a single act which entails that your own suffering or even your own annihilation as per the physical existence is concerned, it can immediately give you a spiritual evolution. The more the ego falls off, the more you get identified with your the essence of your being. So this, even in the spiritual sense, by uh, not relinquishing your swadharma, by taking the help of your swadharma, so that it can easily lead you to spiritual emancipation. You don't have to relinquish your swabhava, your swadharma, for spiritual emancipation. If you follow it with a proper orientation, this itself can lead to the spiritual emancipation. So, so, so from the point of swadharma also, you will find that your uh, resolution to uh, retreat from this war is not justified. And again, from the standpoint of reputation, sometimes we think that I don't need reputation. But when the reputation is gone, you find that how miserable the life is. In this life, so many things we say we don't need, but we don't understand. It's just they say, they say that we can understand the value of our tooth, of our teeth, only when we have, it has fallen. As long as it is there, so we don't realize. So when we, uh, we are having fame, wealth, reputation, we, we may think we don't need it. But when it is gone, then we feel how miserable the life is. As long as we are, have not sufficiently evolved, when we have spiritually evolved, then all those things doesn't matter. But as long as we have not evolved, we may feel, we may think that it is not required. But when it is not there, we feel as if our existence is of no use. So, so even from the standpoint of reputation, you should fight. You just see Krishna is in so many ways trying to that bring that, uh, that grit, that resilience in Arjuna so that he can stand up and face the war. So what he's saying, avachya vadangshya vahun, vadishyanti tavahita, nindantastava samarthyam, tatadukkhataram nakim. When all, and when you find that they are blaming you for, uh, for, for, for reasons which are not true, you must, you may feel that it is out of your compassion. It is out of 
It is because of your love for your kith and kin, you have renounced the war. From the bottom of heart, your heart, you know that. But the others will say you are a coward. And that can be really very, extremely torturing for your psyche, for your psychological well-being. And that's how that loss of reputation can be extremely, can be extremely tormenting. As the, in, in the present is the Warren Buffett says that it takes 20 years to build a reputation, but five minutes to ruin it. If you think about that, you will do things differently. And immediately, just in the small act, that everyone in the world in those days knew that Arjuna is the greatest warrior. No one is comparable to him. But the moment he retreats, in five minutes it's gone. Everything is gone. Can you, can you deal with it? With that type of uh, disrepute? Can you deal with it? So from various ways we are finding Arjuna. Krishna is trying to uh, uh, bring back that strength. He's trying to encourage Arjuna to fight. So now still again that another doubt is there. That I agree that the soul is imperishable. But does it justify killing for selfish reasons? That now God is saying that the soul is uh, something uh, indestructible. But does it in any way uh, justify the killing for selfish reasons? We find that, you know, when we read this Advaitic ideas, Vedanta, this Vedanta for the first time, we may develop so many wrong notions. Uh, we relate. I can. We can relate it even in the life of Sri Ramakrishna, when the young disciples were around Ramakrishna. Their life was being guided by Ramakrishna. We find that one of the young disciples of Ramakrishna, monastic disciple, who later became Swami Abhedananda, he was catching fish as a young boy, and seeing that Ramakrishna was with pain. He told it's just luring an animal and killing it. It's extreme. It's an act of cruelty. You're luring it with food and actually you're trapping it and killing it. It's an act of cruelty. And then Abhidananda, the young Abhidananda, Kali Maharaj at that time, he was a young boy. He has read, read Advaita Vedanta. He told no one has been killed. So just see that the same script, the scripture, if we don't have the proper attitude, it can lead us to a very wrong way of understanding. So you may say, why it is wrong way of understanding? Isn't it correct? You say that the soul is something uh, which is indestructible. Then even if I, when I'm fishing, am I killing anyone? So just see the cruelty can be justified with your Vedanta. So to answer this question, if you really think of this Bhagavad Gita uh, very intently, you will find that there, there will arise situations where there is a gap of understanding. But Bhagavan has answered them all. He knows the human mind, how it can constantly trick us, fool us. So now to answer this question, Sri Krishna will be introducing the topic of Karma Yoga. 
that self is indestructible that I understand. But now you are asking me to go and attend this war or take part in this war. I know I have sufficient strength to win this war. And then for winning the war, what, uh, what will result? My relatives will die. I will enjoy the kingdom. And that kingdom I will be enjoying, which this all this enjoyment is as if smeared with the blood of my relatives. In what way that your idea that the self is indestructible can be justified with this selfish act? So here Krishna now introduced the topic of Karma Yoga. So in this chapter, he's speaking of karma yoga where he's speaking of doing the act without the motivation for selfish gains. So it won't make it very clear. So when we study the third and the fourth chapter, the idea of yajna will come. That has to be related to the karma yoga. What's the idea of yajna? In the third chapter, one sloka will come. This, the, the Lord is beyond any want. He is eternal. He is in his eternal presence. But for what reason we don't know when this creation is projected from him. There is a rhythm. There is a law in that creation. That Om is the ultimate reality, which finds expression as Rim, as the Shakti. That the entire universe is the expression of energy, of Shakti. That ultimate reality is finding expression as that. But that Shakti, again, is not chaotic. It follows certain principles. So in our so-called, like in the physical world, wherever you go in the universe, there's the gravitation law is universal. The electromagnetic laws are the universal laws. What is applicable here is applicable anywhere. That's why Einstein how nicely has um, uh, indicated that fact that the most incomprehensible fact of the universe is that it is comprehensible. That I as a human being, such a small creature crawling on this earth, I can decipher the mysteries of nature. Such a huge universe where it has started, where it's end, I don't know. But I can with exact precision send a satellite on the, uh, uh, it can go and soft land on Mars. Not only that, this is like Land Rover. It will be moving around in the Mars, sending me pictures. How this precise calculation is possible and that for a human being who is like a, just a small worm crawling on this earth, how he could do this? He has made as if the entire, the mysteries of the universe comprehensible is because the entire universe is guided by certain laws. What is applicable here is applicable there too. That's why I can calculate the exact gravitational force and enable the satellite to do soft landing there. So this universality, this is the ultimate reality which has find expression as this universe and it is finding expression through the laws. Just the laws which we cannot transcend break in the physical world, the same laws we cannot break even in the moral world. In our so-called as per the psyche of any being is concerned. We used to say that the self, the genes is selfish, but now with the advancement of the science we are finding that genes, the genes is not selfish as such. It actually cooperates. They synergize. It's a win-win situation. I cooperate with you, you cooperate with me, 
And that way we overcome all the limitations. And that's the idea of yajna. In a limited sense, the idea of yajna is I offer some oblations in the fire. The fire is the mouth for the gods. It takes that oblations and it reaches the Varuna Devata, the other uh, personifications of nature. Why we have to please, please them? So that they give us rain in bounty. We can have good crops. So it's a question of give and take. So that limited idea of give and take in the yajna has to be expanded in the entire universe as the law of interdependence in the entire universe. In the Buddhism, the idea of this interdependence is being spoken of in Bhagavad Gita as yajna. So karma yoga, what it speaks of, that do all your actions knowing well that God has created me with that concept of yajna, the sahayajna prajasrishtva. It is within me. So for the sustenance of nature, for the sustenance of God's creation, I am just an instrument. There is no question of doer and enjoyer. I am not the doer. I am not the enjoyer. Lord has, Lord has planned the universe. When a child is born, the mother invariably feels love for the child. Whether it is a tiger or it's a lion or it's a crocodile or it's a human being, how ferocious an animal may be, it's always having a love for the child. From where that love came? Is it something for which uh, the mother can take the credit? No. It was inbuilt. When we feel some sympathy for the poor person, a beggar, from where that sympathy has evolved? Can you say it is I who have developed the sympathy? It was something natural. We're seeing a person suffering that sympathy wells. So they say that, that, uh, that our genes, are, that the genes itself are emphatic, empathetic. They are. This, this, all this empathy is something within us. God has created that way. So we are not the doer. Lord is taking care of his creation through us. It is he who is the doer. And either if we are not the doer, how can we be the enjoyer? So we, with that wrong notion of karta and bhukta, suffer in this world. If we know that as per the past actions, this body has been born, it has its natural tendencies, and with that, Lord has made me the instrument to take care of some part of a group activity. The entire universe is a, group, a huge group work. I cannot take care of everything. As per my nature, God has allotted me certain duty, which I have to do. It is he who is doing through me. And the results are his only. So here comes the idea of karma yoga. So in this battle, if you just see the cause of the battle, that it, at each and every state, Bhagavan himself has tried to avert the battle. And when at last it was in no way possible, the, the war was the only way to bring back the balance in this world. That all, this, if, if, if you just try to find out the, what is good and bad in this world, in a very simple way you can find out. This Paropakara punyaya papaya parapirana. Whenever you are trying to relate to this world through synergy, that alone speaks of goodness, nothing else. And whenever you are trying to 
exploit the world for your own pleasures. That is sin. That's a simple equation. And behind that, again, that idea of interdependence is there. So with that, the Lord has allotted us certain duty. So you as a Kshatriya, you, your natural tendencies have made you to be born in this situation and now the Lord is taking the help of you, is, is, has made you the instrument to establish religion again in the world. Where in the name of power, the exploitation was prevailing. That the Pandavas wanted just five villages. That also was not allotted. That the king was who is there to take care of the subject. Now for his own selfish wealth and for his selfish uh, power, he's exploiting others. And that exploitation has to be stopped. So again, bring back the balance. So it is the Lord. It is not that Arjuna is going to enjoy the kingdom after winning the war. Just change the attitude. The Lord has his own way of bringing the balance back to the earth. In the COVID time, we have experienced that, how he brings back the balance, how he changes us, our, our awareness how that we go on committing mistakes, which has resulted in the present global warming, climate change. And Lord has his own ways to bring us back again to the balance. He's doing his duty. You are just an instrument. Take part it without the idea of Sukha Dukha, without the equanimity. And then this, the same war, which you were finding something which uh, is something, an act of cruelty, is horrendous, it will find its meaning. And that's, the, that's how he starts, the intro, introduces the Karma Yoga. Sukhe Dukhe, in the 38th sloka we found. Sukhe Dukhe Samakritva Labha Labho Jaya Jayo Tato Yudhyaya Yudhyasya Naiva Papam Avapsasi So nothing that no taint can touch you. No sin can touch you. If with that equanimity, knowing yourself to be the divine worker, the world Lord is working through you, knowing that it is always, whether we know it or not, he's working through us. In Brihadaranaki Upanishad, there's a wonderful sloka, mantra, what it says, that as long as we don't realize the, our spiritual essence, the Lord is using us just the way we use our cattle for our own purpose. You domesticate our cattle. In the olden days, the ox the, were used for cultivating your land. The bullocks were used. We use the cattle. The horse is used for the transport. So the Lord uses us as long as we are not aware of our the real self. The once you become aware of it, this is body is still being used, but but you know that there's a divine purpose and you are no more the cattle. You just become a companion in the divine plan. The Lord is playing the eternal game. I am his companion. So these are the subtle ideas by which we have to correct our attitudes. This attitudinal correction speaks of spirituality, nothing else. Not to change the way of life, that just to 
change the way of life, renounce everything and retreat from the life. That doesn't enter spirituality. What In what situation of life we have been placed by the Lord? It is the Lord who has placed us in particular situations of life, knowing very well, I take care, I seek not, avoid not. And go on with the life, with that detached, equanimous attitude. And that speaks, that enters in our spiritual evolution. So this concept of Karma Yoga, the Bhagavan now starts to bring a, what you say, the, a coherence between these two ideas, that the self is something imperishable. But the question comes, how it in any way justifies my act of cruelty? Yes, Bhagavan says, it's an act of cruelty if you're really thinking of enjoying the kingdom after defeating them. But if you are thinking that it's just not for enjoying the kingdom, it's just to do the divine's work, the plan, the divine, the God Krishna himself was trying to bring the balance without war, through peace. It never worked in any way. Repeatedly it failed. And now the war is inevitable for which God wants me to be the instrument. And I am just the instrument. I'm not uh, bothered about the pains it's going to inflict on me because of killing the kith and kin. When I kill my kith and kin, it of course is going to entail my is going to entail in my suffering. I am not that cruel being who is not in way affected. And that's the reason I was going away. It's going to affect you. But transcend that. That suffering will be there. But if the spiritual life is not something to what they say that uh, to uh, make us uh, unaware of the things. It's not uh, like, uh, you know, that um, anesthesia. It's not like anesthesia. That when you, are, when, the, when you have to be operated, the anesthetic effect, just what happens, you are not aware of your body at all. It's not, the spirituality is not anesthesia that I don't in any way feel the pains and the joys of life. They are there. But I have become a witness that the body-mind as an instrument going through it I am in no way affected by it. It is serving the divine purpose. I am just the one who is observing it. So now you can justify your act once you have changed your attitude and then it can easily be linked with that imperishable self. That I'm going through all this and after all the self is imperishable. The Lord is just playing his game for bringing us back from the ignorance to again get established in that self he is playing his game in varied ways through each and every one of us as per our temperament. So he is the one who is the eternal player. I am just the instrument. I am just in the pain in the hand of the divine. It is he who is writing the script of my life. It's not me. The pain can never claim to be the author of the book. It's the author who is holding the pain. He is the author. So God is the author of life. I am just the pain. So with that idea, the karma yoga, the concept of karma yoga will be established, which alone can give us that equanimity. And with that equanimity, we can transcend the so-called, the, all the evils of life. And not only that, we can even transcend this process of transmigration. That's the thing which again he will be uh, uh, describing in the succeeding slokas. So this a synopsis of the Bhagavad Gita uh, from the 
this the remaining part we have just del um, uh, dealt with till the 49th sloka from the 50th sloka uh, till the last 72 it will need another one more class so we will uh, continue with that and then we will proceed to the third chapter but most probably just uh, uh, before durga puja just let me let me make an announcement before i stop today's class that uh, we will of course let it let everyone know through the email also that we are going through some renovation works. So the class from next Sunday till Durga Puja have to be cancelled. Uh, most probably we will have one more class on Thursday, the class on Mundaka Parishad. And after that, all the classes will remain cancelled from 16th September onwards till the 2nd of October. The classes will remain cancelled because we are going through some renovation in the center. So we won't be in a position to hold the classes. And on 3rd October, we are going to celebrate Durga Puja in our center. It's not that uh, we will be some hiring hall. Here in the, our center itself, we will be celebrating the Durga Puja. Till then, the classes will be uh, just suspended. And after Durga Puja, again, the regular classes will start. So and then we will again continue with the remaining portion of our this uh, synopsis of the second chapter of Bhagavad Gita before we proceed to the next chapter. So with this, we conclude our discussion today. Thank you all. Namaskar.